Let's see what they paid. Oh, guess what? Pelosi gave all that shit to her husband and her kid, both criminals, right? Maybe to her pedo brother too, right? Uh, you know what? I shouldn't say that because that she's not her brother, but she is a criminal anyway. But she gave it all to them. So they're the ones hiding all that. You know, they, they give it to other people or they create offshores or they hide assets overseas. So these clowns over here talking right now are quite jealous. That makes them freaking smart. Very smart. Now, let's go see um, how uh, the New York Times report on Trump's tax returns. This is from September. They wanted this stuff before the elections, but they couldn't get it. So now they're going to get it. <laughs> What's going to be their benefit? Are they going to try to come after our president? You think we're going to let you arrest him? Mm? You think we're going to let you try him? Right mm? <laughs> That was from February of 2021. They have been building cases. <laughs> it's June 15, 2022. And here you are with me back to my noon slot. I know a lot of people uh, wanted me to get back here. Uh, uh, so welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. So let's see what we got to say today. Because we have a lot Well, that needs to be coming out. A lot that needs to be said. And a lot that needs to be pieced together. Now, I can sit here and, you know, talk about all these happenstance things happening that I've said, but I'm not here to toot my horn. Okay, I'm not. Anyone claiming that obviously has no idea who and what I stand for. I'm not here to toot my horn. I'm here to demonstrate that this is known if I know it. And I mean... Yeah, other people should know it too, <laughs> but I digress. The question is, is with knowledge, why is it that no one wants to share it? Why is it that we are sequestering this information? And we'll get to that area of how I uh, spent a very long time in 2020, spring and summer, cultivating to trust your gut. And you're going to see how important it is to do it, especially now. I caught myself 
looking through the news feeds. Yeah, we saw, you know, the the feeds of all the the cows that are dead in Kansas. <laughs> Climate change, NABF, anyone? Who knows? Regardless, it's happening. Regardless, it's happening, and all of you knew it. All of you knew that it was happening, those that were listening. Why did you know it? Well, because Tori said so. Well, Tori hasn't been wrong. <laughs> like I said, in a conversation that I had, you know, with Patrick Byrne, which, like I said, we don't agree on a lot of things. But at the core, his intentions and what he wants accomplished aligns with what I believe is amazing. But anyway, as we were having this discussion, I said, you're doing this wrong. He said, oh, you're just saying it's wrong because it's not your win. <laughs> when have I been wrong? Touche, my friend. It may not be on point with exact science because unfortunately the future isn't created by one person's actions. It is created by the many. And fixed points in time do not change. The story surrounding them, the uh, time that it will happen may delay, but in the end, it will still come back to it. Now, there's a lot of chaos going on in the left. Uh, they are They were promised a an indictment and it has not happened uh the, the, you know the chaos that they created hoping to derive order with their methods uh has railroaded completely uh, we're not seeing any order derive of this chaos the attempts for their order during this chaotic time is causing more chaos it, it almost looks like um, a specific equation in chaos theory, unsolved, of course, by many, that uh, people have been dabbling in for a long time. And this chaos, creating more chaos, disrupts any man-made chaos. So it's expected. In other words, if you're creating a situation that is chaotic and nasty, and in the end, it is not providing the structure that you want to derive. Instead, that structure causes more chaos. That is what you call grassroots, organic, or natural order of things that will derive their own. So let's take a look at this chaos. First of all, let's take a look at who this one guy is. There's this guy uh, for millennials who pretty much was a staple in that generation. I guess, you know, um, my daughter Harold would fall into that, right? I want to show you one of his first, uh, how do you call it? Well, I guess this YouTuber, one of his first... Uh, videos that you can find on YouTube in what used to be called Vine, then became Musical.ly, and now it's called TikTok. Allow me to introduce you to this young man who has made a fortune 
and has made a name for himself. His name is Jake Paul. Snow. I like snow. Excuse me. I just got engaged to the love of my life. <laughs> oh, you need to ride home. <laughs> SpongeBob? SpongeBob, I know you're in there. You need to come out right now, or else I'm going to come inside of there and I'm going to find you, okay? Logan, there's a spider on your shoulder. Where? Stay still. I am. It's going on your face. Get it. It's going on your face. Get it, dude. I got it. Oh, Merry Christmas! Come on, Rudolph. Hey, ladies! Oh God, uh, they're like twelve. I gotta go. Hey, will you take a picture with me? Sure. I'm not kissing you. <laughs> hey, babe, who are you going to homecoming with? Nobody. Do you want to go to Home Depot with me? <laughs> Can we get a uh, two tickets to paradise? Or do you not sell them? Human hurdles. Give me a reservation for Valentine's Day. Table for one. Table for two. Oh, is your mother in town? For Narnia. For Narnia. Come on, we got to go. The troops need us. This stud finder is broke. I don't know what's going on. Clearly it works. I don't know who you are. It's Waldo. I will find you. <laughs> Good luck. Click. Bonania! Bonania! Go, go, go! Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe for weekly videos and a vlog channel coming soon. So that's Jake Paul. He would make tiny short videos that were high school mashups. Kids would watch them all the time. Uh, some of them were funny. Some of them were like what teenagers would think it's funny in the moment, right? In the moment, not funny like after. So uh, there has been some controversy. He actually laid into Joe Biden, literally. And he put out a tweet, Biden accomplishments, one, highest gas prices, two, worst inflation, three, plummeting crypto prices, four, highest rent prices ever, five, created new incomprehensible language. If you're reading this and voted for Biden and you still don't regret it, then you are the American problem. What? Yes. Now, <laughs> the media in themselves have lost their mind. They've lost their mind with all of this. The Young Turks obviously took to defend Joe Biden, of course. YouTuber and uh, professional boxer Jake Pauls making waves online after he decided to uh, get political and blame Joe Biden for everything that ails us through a tweet. Now, uh, the tweet caught my attention for one specific reason, uh, namely 
the involvement of crypto in this argument. So let's take a look at what he had to say. He says Biden accomplishments, highest gas prices, worst inflation, plummeting crypto prices, Mm -hmm. highest rent prices ever, created new incomprehensible language, a reference to the stutter he has. If you're reading this and voted for Biden and you still don't regret it, then you are the American problem, he argues. Okay. So, uh, look, I can go point by point and obviously Biden is not the emperor of, uh, oil and gas, uh, oil and gas companies, uh, get to decide what he kind of is uh, right now. Oil and gas. Uh, I wouldn't expect Jake Paul to understand what the. Oh, but she does. So Biden's not the king of oil and gas, though he's the one that is choking the whole oil and gas system. But okay. Well, yeah. Or how the OPEC cartel works. Uh, but we- this has nothing to do with OPEC. So she's talking out of her ass once again. We've talked about that. That's all boring for the sake of this conversation. And I honestly don't want to be put in a position where I'm defending Joe Biden because I actually do think he's been a pretty terrible president. Oh, he's been a terrible president, but Jake Paul is wrong to say all this because it's OPEC cartel. I see. But putting that all aside for a second, let's focus namely on the crypto argument, right? That Biden is responsible for plummeting crypto prices. How exactly would that happen, right? Um, And I have a theory as to why Jake Paul tweeted this and why crypto is- Okay. So let's just stop right there in that comment because I think sometimes it's important to, you know, understand where this is coming. Cryptocurrency is a decentralized currency. And right now, Miss Kasparian, who believes she's the end all to all knowledge, doesn't see where this comes in. Who remembers the country that put all their reserves in Bitcoin? Or shall I say countries? That's a good question. Keep that question in mind as um, we listen to the rest of what she has to, well, some of what she has to say before we interrupt her again. Was included because crypto has crashed uh, in recent weeks. And uh, Jake Paul is known to be involved in crypto and NFT related scams. And so when he's scamming his viewers and followers and supporters and they notice that the price of the BS crypto that they bought because he was promoting it is now worth nothing, he wants to find some sort of excuse for why that is. Actually, no. So like right now, the crypto market is so bad that people that had portfolios worth a million are now worth a hundred thousand. They've lost their fortunes in it for those that had invested in it a long time ago. It has gone so bad that um, even the big agencies, Coinbase and Crypto.com are laying people off because they don't have the money to pay them because the market is tanking. So yes, Jake Paul is a YouTuber. Yes, he's a millennial that got into cryptocurrency. That doesn't necessarily make him a fraud because a coin that he invested in, a technology, failed, right? So just like that, they want to call him 
a fraud, a grifter, you know, the usual leftist talking points. Let's clear this out. Leftist talking points, right? Clear leftist talking points. When they don't want to, um, you know, give credence to what you have to say, they'll just say that and it waves it all away because it's true. But what he's saying is correct. You know, Coinbase laid off, Crypto.com laid off, and these are people that have big corporations behind them. Well, Coinbase has a lot of government behind them too. So people should be asking themselves, wait a minute, so this AMC, AMC, what you saw with, (laughs) with AMC and GameStop is exactly what happens with crypto. People support a brand and they go with it. And crypto is a way of raising funds for a technology um, to make it boost. But right now, this has come to bite them in the ass as they implemented to try to garner control. PayPal has lost so much money because they had taken on Stellar Lumens and in Ukraine, which, by the way, Ukraine is like the epicenter of these big corporation cryptos for some reason. You know, they're losing their mind. Of course, there are scams. There are cryptos that are created by someone simply to have people buy it and they own like a hundred million. And the minute it goes to, you know, one decimal point up, they dump it all and everybody loses their investments and the person runs off with their money. I mean, that's usually what used to happen in the stock market, right? when someone would create a company, but it wasn't really a company and they were like, yeah, so I'm just going to sell my shares and you guys can take over now. You know, some coins are created and there's no product behind it, no technology, no development, no nothing. You know, that's why you have to read. It's not like, oh, look, there's a company called Teacup. I'm Teacup has an office in, you know, on Orange Street in, in Delaware. And even though there's a million other businesses. Sounds like a legit thing. I'm going to buy this. And some influencer comes out and is like, yeah, because they were convinced that this is going to be the next big thing, teacup. But no one did their homework. The teacup was just one of millions of companies registered at that address on Orange Street. And unfortunately, you know, they lose all their money because no one looked to see what does teacup do? Who? is using teacup. How will teacup provide me some anemones in the future? You know, things like that. But you know, Jake Paul's just stupid. No, Jake Paul is a proper millennial that made a ton of money and invested it in the future of decentralized currency. Uh, so uh, he's not stupid. But let's listen to what else they have to say. So they don't realize that he's engaging in these pump and dump schemes. Yeah, so there's two parts of that actually. Come back to that in a second. But look, I guess he's a right winger. This doesn't exactly look like a left wing critique of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, created new incomprehensible language. Trump created the word kofefe. And said, oh, no, it's a real word. People who know what it means know it. How dumb does he sound right now? I really need to show you a still of his face on this video. I just didn't want to show their video because I do not want to give them any, any uh, validation of being something considered. Look at his face. That's the face stupid makes when they sound dumb. Kafefe were the initials of a bill. What an idiot. 
Cafefe were the initials of a bill. Look how stupid he looks. Cafefe were the initials of a bill, not some made up word. Okay. Everyone's saying. Yeah. It, he called origins oranges. And we can go on and on and on. So if you, if, look, I don't think that Joe Biden is the sharpest guy there is. Uh, I have plenty of left wing critique of him. But if we're talking about non sharp guys, if your boy's Trump, that's one of the dumbest people in the world. Although, to be fair, you know. Dumbest people in the world? What? Who is this guy saying that? This is why his video has 47,000 views, even though he has 5 million followers. Because what he's saying is completely stupid. President Trump, dumb. Okay. Uh, peas in a pot, right? <laughs> so I don't know if it's the headshots that Jake Paul has taken or the fact that he wasn't very bright to begin with. So uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'm, I'm gonna skip your political analysis on inflation and gas prices and, and rent, okay? Uh, so let's go to crypto where- Wait, and rent. Now, yesterday I had a meeting uh, with a few people on the west side, upper west side. And I was just um, uh, sitting at a cafe waiting and I, uh, my phone popped up an alert because you guys know I'm house hunting. And I was like, oh, this price went down. Speaking of that, when I pulled up the app, it went to my location. And then I was like, wow, dang, dang, dang. The prices in New York have gone up, right? So then I clicked it over to where it's rent. Just $30,000 a month for a two-bedroom? Like, who the fuck can afford that? It's definitely not the baristas, definitely not the students, definitely like who is paying $30,000 a month for rent? Like who would pay $30,000 a month for rent? I, 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 I saw that a studio goes for $8,000. I was just like, wow, how is anyone going to afford? Like I, I kid you not, go on the app. The, the Zillow app and literally just go to Manhattan and put in, uh, you know, rent, right? And, 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 and put anything from a studio to a one bedroom. And you're just like, no. And it's so inconvenient. Like I see people with pets all the time that are dogs and, you know, not knocking it, it must be crazy unless it's a toy dog and you can have one of those fake lawn places like a litter box but with grass you know i don't see how your pet you know can even live in you know normally in a concrete jungle uh, you know i thinking about it because there was no way i would have uh you know gotten a phoebe or hera another puppy after our animals passed away if we didn't have a backyard and, you know, a place where they can go and roam around with, you know, in their own space. Uh, it, it's just incredible. This is why when, when I moved, I, I left the puppies, um, the, the older dogs, right? They were, they're still my puppies, Zeus and Ruffian, uh, with Hera, who had the ability to give them places to roam where I didn't.
So I, I'm, I, you know, I, I was thinking about that and I was looking, I was like, well, let me go to Harlem. Harlem was high too. And I'm like, what is going on here? Who lives there? Who is paying $30,000 a month for a two bedroom? Who is paying $8,000 for a studio that is the size of your walk-in closet in other states? Like who is doing that? That's a question you should ask. It shouldn't be like, oh, the prices are really high. You should ask yourself, who is living in those types of rentals? It's very important what I'm pointing out. Who is living there? It's not the millions of people that are, you know, uh, uh, serving you. It's not your waitress or your waiter unless they have like five roommates in a two bedroom and they live like, you know, no knocking my Indian listeners, but when Indians and Chinese and Arabs migrate over to the U.S., it's like their house has like 20 people in it because they, you know, cut corners to save money to buy their own home, right? So it feels like people are being stacked. So question, who is paying $30,000 a month for rent for a two-bedroom? Who is paying eight to 10000 for a studio? I want you to take a look at the price ranges of rent in Manhattan. I kid you not. And you know, it goes back to while I was in New York, I met with a friend of mine who is in the prosecuting area. We kind of went to school together at one point. And um, we had a very incognito conversation. But then they also told me uh, that, you know, they're, Parents were able to sell their home in Astoria for $1.2 million. I'm thinking, wait, stop, stop. I remember my dad, when he bought that house over, well, not Astoria, it's Jackson Heights, right? Um, but they have, okay, I'm not going to give too much detail because I know other people are listening. So anyway, let's talk about the Jackson Heights one. So my dad and that person's parents bought homes on the same street, in Jackson Heights in the nineties. Those homes are very small, two family houses. So there's an upstairs and a downstairs. The downstairs is about 900 square feet, maybe 800. And the top one's like a thousand, maybe 1100. And they have like a small backyard and a garage, one garage that the, that either they share or just one of the apartments has. Anyway, it's a home, two story home. That's two family. Anyway, I remember in the 90s, my father had purchased it for about, I, I want to say about 55000 And that's about the same price that that person's parents were bought, bought it. They just sold that shit for like over a million dollars in Queens, in Jackson Heights. And I'm like, who is paying one point, you know, whatever million dollars for a home that's like, you know, 40 years old and then some, right? I, they weren't, I think they're more than that. They're about 50, 60 years old and then some, you know, right off the Queens Expressway <laughs> that is like a closet. Like I'm not understanding, you know, the, the, the property market, but more so the rent. So what Jake Paul is talking about the rent is true. 
I'd like you to go into all the big cities. Go to L.A. We're talking downtown. Go to Manhattan. Go to Miami. Uh, Miami, not not like the suburbs. We're talking city. Uh, go to Chicago. And you're going to see some crazy, insane rents. And you're going to think to yourself, who's paying that? Like, I don't know anyone that would be paying $30,000 for rent. Because if you can afford $30,000 for rent, you can afford to buy that place. Why would you rent it for $30,000? Okay, you're a temporary visitor. And you take the hit, right? Because sometimes like you'll rent a house for like $3,000, but because you're in an Airbnb, you'll pay five or six and it's a temporary state because you know, you're going to buy a house. I get it. But $30,000? dollars a month for rent. And then it's like, it's not just that all of them. I mean, just look at it. I'm, I'm not just, Oh, I'm look at it. So I don't understand why they're knocking him, but I want you to listen to this curious statement in regard to crypto. Listen to what he says. There, there he, he's an expert at something. Yeah. Pumping and dumping. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> but I have a different theory too. So okay. this is definitely right. And then I'll add a second theory. All right, great. So um, there's been a lot of backlash toward Jake Paul for getting involved in promoting um, crypto and NFTs that end up being scams or at least uh, the makings, like all of the different characteristics of pump and dump schemes are certainly involved. Okay, so I want to give you those details in just a moment. Um, so Be in Crypto, a uh, publication that covers crypto-related news, uh, writes that Jake Paul is already the focus of some serious investment investigatory heat thanks to safe moon class action lawsuit. The suit alleges that the famous social media irritant, and that's a great way of describing him, along with fellow celebrities, uh, including Backstreet Boy Nick Carter and rappers Soja Boy and Lil Yachty, made false or misleading statements to investors about safe moon. So a YouTuber by the name of CoffeeZilla, which I actually really do recommend, he does a good job in getting into the nitty gritty and details about all of this, um, investigated some of the garbage that Paul has promoted to his followers. And here's what we know. So using block explorers and basic chain analysis, CoffeeZilla was able for the first time to link a $190,000 payment from SafeMoon to a wallet address held by the YouTube influencer, Jake Paul. That same address was linked to payments from MILF Token and Yummy. Okay, let's just pause for a second. Please don't invest your money in MILF Token and Yummy. Like, just if Jake Paul tells you to put your money in something like that, maybe think twice. Just, I'm just looking out for you, okay? You could love Jake Paul. Ha ha ha. I have some MILF Token. <laughs> okay, listen, <laughs> listen. So SafeMoon uh, is a protocol. It's actually software that was created uh, to um, help with um, people that are coming in to the NFT space. And this is basically why it was created. It was software. It was an investment to create this software um, so that SafeMoon can... Uh, be the software being used as a currency and to have NFTs. Uh, it, it, it was, it was, it was okay. It wasn't dirty. I didn't get any, uh, I wasn't going to spend a hundred dollars on that. I, I, I didn't get into that. I did get some MILF token though. 
But uh, the point here is, is that they're deconstructing anything this guy has done because of what he said. And that makes you wonder as to how big of a problem Biden really is when one of the leading millennials is really upset at Biden and is telling the world about it. So it's it's quite interesting seeing all of this coming to light. And so much that even Fox talked about it. Here's a clip from Fox talking about popular YouTuber slamming Joe Biden. The young people's vote. Just 28% of young Democrats strongly approve of his job performance. And that was down to 30% since he took office. We're on this all morning long. Mornings with Maria live right now. That poll catching the attention of 25-year-old YouTube sensation Jake Paul, who tweeted this, quote, My generation left to right agree with me. We need the president of our country to do better. It comes after the influencer slammed Biden over the state of the economy, writing in part, Biden accomplishments, then listing highest gas prices, worst inflation, plummeting crypto prices, highest rent prices ever, and new irresponsible incomprehensible, excuse me, speaking of incomprehensible, that's me, language. And for those of you, well, who, who's Jake Paul, you ask? Well, he's got 20 million YouTube followers, was the second highest grossest influencer on the platform last year. He made $45 million. And joining the conversation all morning long, Francis Newt Stacy and Joe Concha. Joe, Jake Paul's turned against Biden. And he's not alone, clearly, when you talk about those numbers. I mean, down 30 points since the inauguration uh, among young people who tend to vote Democrat. It, it just shows you that inflation is felt by the upper class and the lower class and the middle class and obviously old people and young people. Right. Everything is more expensive and it's hard to deny that. But then. You know, Jake Paul talks about the perception of this president, right, in terms of his inability to communicate very basic things. And Joe Biden turns 80 in a couple of months. And we heard from the press secretary yesterday that, oh, yes, he's going to run again in 2024. So you're telling me that the country really is going to embrace an 84, 85 year old President Biden at this point, considering what we're seeing in his late 70s? I, I don't think so. Many in his own party a majority now don't want him to run in 2024. So it doesn't matter whether you're young or old, Dagan, uh, the perception that this president is incompetent, too old and too slow to react to crises is very, very real. It, and it, it, they act like it's not happening, Francis. That's part of the problem. And if yeah. you're a, a young person, it's not just the inflation, but now you throw in uh, the crypto collapse and the, that one of the outstanding questions is, is how much of that collapse will have on the, the wealth effect or how much was the wealth effect helping prop up the economy? But how do you see this? No, absolutely. I think because he and the administration and the press secretary refused to come out and to have a serious and honest discussion about the mechanics of inflation, which are supply and demand. I mean, it's not overly complicated. I just think nothing they say resonates with voters. And I thought that was the greatest euphemism ever an incomprehensible language for his struggles. <laughs> and I just think that even AOC, you know, wouldn't is not thinking that she's going to back him. So I just think that this really bodes 
for a super red wave coming and um, they're not changing anything. That, that's mm -hmm. the thing. They're unwilling to change anything. It's not working and they're doubling down, tripling down. Come on, just be honest with the American people. Right. And also, this isn't just a Biden problem. This is a far left problem that the entire idea of MMT, modern monetary theory, has been blown up in their faces. Uh, handouts to people fomented this, helped foment this inflation. So it's not just the Biden Democrat, it's the AOC, far left, progressive, socialist Democrat. It's all of their thinking and all of their policies that have created this nightmare for the, for the American people. They have created a nightmare for the American people. And the problem is, is that they pull the trigger too fast. Inflation works on supply and demand. If there's more demand than there is supply, then prices go up and your dollar is worthless. What I, I in New York, you know, people knock me. You didn't eat well. You just went to do. Do you think I didn't want to eat well? I, I totally did. But my money wasn't going anywhere. The only thing that I could say uh, hurt was eating the crepe at um, the creperie. Uh, you know, I'm getting one crepe and a coffee uh, that should cost me under ten dollars. And that was a, a whopping $19 for just a crepe and a coffee. Are you kidding me? This is why I like my chicken and rice food trucks. You know, that's it. That, that, that is how I survive when I go to New York, the food trucks. And the thing is, yeah, those went up too. You know, the plate used to be like $5, $6. Now it's 10 or even 15 at some places. But, you know, chicken and rice, done. You know, you get your biryani rice, you get all your vegetables too. <laughs> it's like whatever. So uh, th this, is, this is all that's worth it. So again, circling back to supply and demand, where's the supply? All these places caught fire. We have shortages. Cows are mysteriously dying. They just all croaked at once. Oh, weird. So weird. I don't know. Maybe you're like testing stuff. Remember, our old vaccines used to use bovine cells. How do you know that, Tori? Oh, that's because I actually studied under the professor that created the first human clone. And well, in this day and age and what is known, of course, and, <laughs> you know, modern science or mainstream science. But... um. He would use bovine cells. This is why he was <clears throat> removed as an acted, acting professor, and now he's Professor Emeritus, right? Uh, because he used a bovine cell and inserted into that bovine cell human DNA. And what he did was he stripped down the whole bovine cell from all its DNA, but, and put human, and then he saw that even though the cell was stripped down, and I, and I, and, and this is what is the most important, even though he had stripped the cell down to simply be a vessel, right, even though he stripped it down simply to be a vessel to insert and introduce human DNA, 
the human DNA had incorporated bovine DNA. Again, how do we cultivate these vaccines? And I've always told you they're retroviral and there's been mRNA in the vaccines before they told you there was mRNA in the vaccines. Where did I say that they host them? In different cells, chicken eggs. You hear that all the time, avion cells, porcine cells, piggy cells, piggy flu. Bovine cells is what has been traditionally used. This is why they went back to using human fetal cells because there was too many questions in regards to introducing other animal vessels. These are just vessels. So I want you to imagine a ball, right? And inside this ball, this cell is the DNA of a cow. You can, I've done it myself where I stripped the DNA, how I pulled out all the genetic material and it was wiped clean. And then you insert genetic material, done it with my own hands, with the pipettes, the whole nine yards, did it with my own hands, right? This is what scant is. And that's why I studied under him. And this is why my report that got me ultimately fired from the CDC was on point. We don't want to use porcine cells. And it was probably because I was taking and studying under him that I knew this. And I wrote it in my report that, you know, the, um, the uh, vessel of the porcine cell will expose humans to have uh, zoonotic born diseases. And this is why we had H1N1, swine flu, pig flu, because the flu vaccine of that year was cultivated in pork cells. So for all my Muslim friends, haram, you're all going to hell because you have pork DNA inside of you. So there you go. But again, uh, this is um, this is key <laughs> of bovine, 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 bovine. Bovine cells have always been the most benign-ish, except for mad cow's disease, which many will tell you is based on the fact that they were cannibalizing their own, like feeding them their own dead cow, which could be indeed that because mad cow's disease is the almost equivalent of guru, right? And, and uh, you know, we've talked about Crutchfields before. They're all the same. So our inflation now has gone through the roof because we have demand, but we have no supply. But then it's not Joe Biden's fault. He's not the commander of OPEC and he doesn't stop. Stop it. Like when I hear things like that, right? It's like, how much are you getting paid to make those statements? He can deregulate things and we can have raw cow's milk from our neighbors, right? He can deregulate things and we have more, but they don't want that. They want to introduce synthetic foods, foods that they can control and convey. So this morning I wanted to make coffee. I noticed that my sink smelled extra clean, like chlorine. And I was like, hmm. So then as I was rinsing off my, um, my French press, which I suck at using that because I have to like filter the coffee and then I have to take it out, rinse it out and then filter it again. But this time I actually used the water that I used to make the coffee, which is boiled and, and non-tap water, um, to rinse it off because I could smell the chlorine. They have upped 
it, whatever chemicals they're putting in water or anything, they have increased tenfold. I mean, when you go to a supermarket, we're all hungry, right? <laughs> so when we go to the supermarket shopping, the only wall, I mean, we're not that hungry yet, right? To eat the vegan cheese yet, right? That's the only one that's always fully stocked. The vegan cheese, the the fake eggs, the fake chicken, the the, the chicken nuggets, but with an N and an apostrophe because they're not real. That's always That's always stocked. They want us to get into that soy stuff, genetically modified impossible meat crap that Burger King came up with too. That's what they want. I like turkey bacon, by the way. Um, But that's what they want. (laughs) That's what they want. So it's a little bit nuts that they would sit there and say that the inflation has nothing to do with Joe Biden. In fact, it has everything to do with which direction they want to put us at, at their mercy. On our knees, begging them to feed us. On our knees, begging us, begging them, (laughs) begging them for, you know, milk and baby formula. That's what they want. And this is where they're going. And while they're doing that, they're going to take our guns too. And the only time that you want to take your citizens' guns is when you're going to do shit, right? That may want to make people want to use them. And that's what they're banking on, too. And you're just not doing it yet. And that's a problem for them. Here are the Democrats. I mean, the overlords of the Democrats telling you how they're compromising for the good of the nation, of course. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Senator Cornyn, who, as you know, I asked to be the point person on our side to see if we could come to a, an outcome uh, after these horrible school shootings. And his uh, teammates indicated, as you have reported, a coming together behind a, behind a framework which hopefully can be turned into legislative language and passed. Um, for myself, I'm comfortable with the framework. And if the legislation ends up <coughs> reflecting what the framework uh, indicates, I'll be supportive. Washington Democrats have been wrong about inflation from the very beginning. Um, you know, notwithstanding our efforts to try and convince them that uh, pushing two trillion dollars out into the economy was going to be um, was going to be inflationary and create lots of havoc in our economy, uh, they went ahead and did it anyway. And so, what we're witnessing now are the effects of that. And the numbers last week were pretty sobering. Uh, 8.6% inflation, highest in 40 years. Food increased by 11.9%, the the biggest, largest increase year over year since 1979. And gas prices for the first time ever now exceed $5 a gallon. That is what uh, the Democrats' stewardship and management of this economy have given to the American people. They seem to think that the best way to address this is to double down, spend more, spend more federal dollars, $5 trillion in a a so-called Build Back Better plan, um, which hopefully cooler heads on their side will eventually prevail and they'll dispense with that idea. But we have a very different vision about how to get the economy growing, expanding, get inflation under control. And it really consists not of more big government but really of uh, allowing the American people to keep more of what they earn, 
uh, allowing for free markets to work, a light regulatory touch, and providing incentives for oil and gas production in this country to get energy back, back online. Um, we want to communicate that to the American people. And one of the challenges that we're facing is that there are uh, some of these platforms, uh, I'll use Google as an example, that have been discriminating against some of the content that's being put out. The 2020 election, there was a study done, independent study done recently, that suggested 70% of Republican emails went to spam in the 2020 election compared with about 8% of Democrat emails. So I'm filing a bill today and have all the uh, Republican leadership and a lot of our colleagues on board that would go after and prohibit these uh, big platforms from censoring or discriminating against political emails. Uh, I'm hopeful that we'll get support for this, obviously. Uh, this is a big problem. And we need more transparency out of these social media platforms, more accountability, and we want to make sure that they have to disclose their practices and that they are not discriminating against any political party or political candidate or uh, any political emails that are out there. And uh, that's certainly what we've seen in the past. Uh, we hope to change that. And this legislation is a start. Well, there's more bad news this past week for American families who are struggling to get by in the Joe Biden economy. Gas prices, highest ever in the history of the United States today, over $5 a gallon on average across the country. The inflation numbers that came out last week were actually even worse than the experts anticipated. And while the inflation numbers are high, it's even higher than that for people going to the grocery store. You go buy things that normal people buy. I was at the grocery store in Wyoming buying hamburger, eggs, milk, soup. All of those things are up much higher than the average rate of inflation. So people really are struggling. They are having a hard time just keeping up with where they were last year. It's costing them a lot more to do that. So they feel really crushed now in this Biden economy. And what do the Democrats had to say about it? Well, they have two different responses. One is surprise and the other is smug superiority. And the surprise came from the Secretary of Treasury last week when she was in the Finance Committee. And she said she was surprised at how negative people feel about the economy and amazed about the pessimism that was out there. You're talking about people in the Democrat Party, tone deaf, tin ear on all of this stuff, failing to see the suffering that the American people are living with right now. And reports are out that gasoline could be approaching $6 a gallon this summer. So what does the senator from the Democrat Party, who is the chair of the Democrats' Policy and Communications Committee, had to say, which to me makes them the spokesman for the party. Last week in the Finance Committee, she said it didn't matter to her how high gas prices went because she had an electric car. So that is the spokesman for the Senate Democrats, the chair of the Policy Committee, saying, you don't like the high cost? Tough. Buy yourself an electric car. Now, the fact that the senator, the senator is paid three times the average income of, a, of an American and an electric car costs more than what most Americans make in a year, that's lost on the Democrats completely. We have sky-high gas prices, sky-high food prices, and the Democrats still want to keep American energy in the ground and are blocking energy for the American people. The American people can't afford to pay the price for food, 
or for gas, and the Democrats need to be made to pay the price come November. Well, we had um, a good discussion today of, of these uh, mental health and violence and gun issues led by Senator Cornyn, who's worked to try to put a package together that might help address these concerns. Concerns. Obviously, Obviously, uh, the mental health component would be a big part of that. A big part of that. So who decides your mental health? Let's see. Who decides, um, you know, who's a terrorist and who's not? Who decides all these things? These are questions people should ask themselves. But there was a Senate Homeland Security committee hearing on Thursday, last Thursday, last Thursday. I want us to look at a snippet of that just so that you can get an idea of how this is going to play out and what they're going for. Because Homeland Security is discussing domestic terrorism and white supremacy. Listen carefully. I would hope that as we discuss violent extremism, that one thing that we could all agree on is that it is wrong and dangerous for any political actor and certainly any executive administration to try to leverage the threat of violent extremism to mislead Congress, to go after political opponents, or to threaten the speech and First Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. But unfortunately, that is exactly what the Biden administration has done. And we have new insight into that today because of the actions of a patriotic whistleblower who contacted my office along with Senator Grassley a short time ago and provided to us documents from the Department of Homeland Security relating to that agency's disinformation board that Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified about sitting right there just a few weeks ago. But according to the documents that I have in my hand here that Senator Grassley and I have now made public. The testimony that Secretary Mayorkas gave to this committee, under oath, I might add, was in many respects deeply misleading. Deeply misleading. And the information we've now learned about the administration's efforts to track and censor American speech is deeply shocking. And I'd like to take a moment to go through with this whistleblower who I thank for that person's patriotism to go through what these documents disclose. You know, Secretary Mayorkas said that the efforts of the department with the disinformation board were new in response to my questions about whether there were documents, meetings, meeting uh, minutes, uh, other documents related to the disinformation board. Uh, he, He suggested that there weren't any because the board hadn't met. Well, in fact, we now know that the Department of Homeland Security began working on standing up this board as early as last year in a memorandum dated September 13th, 2021. The undersecretary of DHS writes to the secretary, to Mayorkas, about the need for the disinformation board. And here's the interesting thing. They explicitly cite domestic violent extremism as a reason to stand up the censorship board, but it quickly goes far beyond that. In the same paragraph, They talk about the need for this disinformation board to monitor and to counter so-called disinformation about the COVID vaccine, about people who are raising questions about the efficacy of masks, about people who are raising questions about the origins of COVID. So in other words, the Department of Homeland Security is contemplating a disinformation board 
that will track the speech of Americans and classify it as disinformation if you raise a question about the COVID vaccine. In other words, if you go to the doctor and you are unvaccinated, you are suddenly flagged as having a mental health issue and or being a domestic terrorist. Interesting how that goes hand in hand with guns about the origins of COVID, about the efficacy of masks, which, by the way, this administration has reversed itself on numerous times. The documents go on. The disinformation board is necessary, this memorandum says, because of those who question election integrity, because of those who have questions about January 6th. So now we get to the nub of it. We see that, in fact, this disinformation board from the beginning was meant to track and go after political speech that this administration did not favor. And for an executive department to do that, and frankly to mislead this committee about it, is deeply, deeply disturbing, and it's wrong. I mean, it's just plain wrong. As we look through the documents, you see that what the secretary told the committee about the disinformation board's operation is just not true. He repeatedly told this committee that the disinformation board would be just a working group just a working group. That's not what the documents say. There is a charter, a proposed charter, that the secretary himself signed personally on February 24th, 2022, that describes the disinformation board as having the authority to set up guidelines. It has governance authority over how the department will classify what is disinformation, over what the response to disinformation should be, over who is doing what in terms of counter, so countering disinformation, which, remember, includes questions about COVID or questions about election integrity or questions about masks. The idea that this is just a working group is, frankly, completely contradicted by the documents that the whistleblower turned over to us and that the secretary himself signed. And can I just say again, For the secretary to sit in that chair and tell me that he wasn't really aware of any documents related to the disinformation board when he has personally signed charters, when he has personally reviewed memoranda dating back months is misleading at best. There's also information in these documents about attempted coordination, planned coordination by the disinformation board with the big tech monopolies. There are meeting notes here. Proposed plans of actions for members of the disinformation board, members of the administration to meet with big tech executives to discuss sharing information about disinformation and tracking analytics of American citizens who are using the big techs, the big tech companies platforms and engaging in so-called misinformation. This is a big tech administration alliance to track speech. It's here in the documents. Now, I asked Secretary Mayorkas if there had been any contact with the big tech companies. He said he wasn't aware of any. I sent a letter following his testimony to Secretary Mayorkas, putting this question to him directly. And interestingly, the department's draft responses to my letter are also in these documents. Now, I'll say for the record, he has not yet, the department has not yet officially responded, but their draft responses are here in the whistleblower documents, and they continue the misleading half-truths, they continue in those documents to characterize this as a working group, false. They say, I say, has the DHS conferred with any private social media company in the operation of this board? 
They repeat the idea that the that the board is merely an internal working group, and then they say the creation of the board, the creation of the board was not discussed with any external entities. That's because we now know that they were discussing the operation of the board with big tech companies. They were seeking to partner and get analytics on law-abiding Americans. Mr. Chairman, my time has nearly expired. I, I would ask unanimous consent that my letter with Senator Grassley, along with the attachments, be entered into the record. Without objection. We haven't reviewed any of those documents, but uh, without objection. This is, this is startling information. This committee needs to hold a hearing to follow up on the testimony that the secretary gave on the inconsistencies that we now find in these documents. And on, frankly, this administration's concerted efforts to mislead the American public about its own attempts to track and censor and, frankly, punish American speech, which is deeply antithetical to the First Amendment, deeply antithetical to our constitutional principles, and deeply wrong. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's very wrong. But what do we do? Well, I think we should shift a few gears. There's a lot more we can talk about, but I think we need to shift a few gears. And rather than me play a song, I'm going to play a video, a very interesting video um, that will dovetail uh, the end of uh, today's show. As we see, there are many that are uh, coming after us trying to silence us in clips like this. The FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th. Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot of well, people who are understandably very are concerned, understandably about, Mr. concerned Epps. about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow, we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, fed, 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 fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day. The next day. On January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Remember the barricades, the barricades that, uh, you know, they told us knock down that officer and she felt like she was in a war zone with the bike thing, that one. But it doesn't stop there and it won't stop there 
because as we're seeing, there's a wave of change, a wave of change everywhere across the nation, across this biodome. Things that they thought they had under control or not. And I said this for years. You cannot treat people as absolute values. I don't care how much you feed information. Your goal when you want to see the outcome is tainted with what you want to see. And if people understood that, they'd be a lot more successful in uh, executing evil or good, whichever it may be. The people no longer just going along with it. Yet they do, they do prey on the fact that people have seen these things, heard these things, and did nothing. Many have voiced them. I mean, I see people putting things up like, you know, Donald Trump's daughter is this, that, 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 that. And this, this, this. And Kim Guilfoyle, she used to be married to Newsom. We should have known better. But what you need to understand is that he's a man. And there are going to be people around this man, good or bad, with intentions driven by interests. And once you see their interests, you see what the intention of those interests are that come forward. And it gives them argument to cause cracks and faults within the trust network. Now, many of you might say, well, we see that all the time with influencers. Who the fuck are these influencers? What are they providing to you? How are they helping you and your family? How are they assisting you in getting better? And that's going to be the second half. Because, you know, now everyone's shocked, you know, on the day of the rally, Kim Guilfoyle got 60 grand to speak simply for a few minutes to introduce her boyfriend, who is the son of the president. Someone would be like, why would she take that money? That's supposed to be her family. Great argument. And what they say is it's just a money-making machine to maintain the lifestyle of this person or whatever. And they can go on and on and on. And then these arguments can be made and we can find ourselves going around in the same circle, making the same arguments every single day. But we need to stop focusing on those arguments and start looking at the intentions. What was the intention of having that happen. What was the intention of someone cutting her check? They might have cut her check. They might not. Maybe she knew. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she asked for it. You don't know this. You don't. The only thing you do know is that, you know, something's happening. You have the Chinese now telling their people they can't go anywhere if their health card is not green, means you're a health hazard, so you can't enter the facility, you can't buy, you can't go. Kind of sounds like what's going on in America, but without the automated service on your app yet. And then we have that group of people that just want to keep their head down and do just enough to get by without getting punished that are starting to feel uncomfortable too. They're starting to say, damn, these conspiracy theorists are right, and, and they don't like it. And then talking about conspiracy theories and aliens, oh, they're coming, or maybe they're here and they're just going to say it now. But it, what was funny was, is that Geraldo Rivera, before I get into our next segment, I, I should show this, had a freak out over aliens. I want you to, to, to listen to this. 
satellites, which are kind of spooky, weather, weather balloons, balloons. Uh, stray aircraft. Uh, other. The only time I ever saw a UFO, I was stoned on ecstasy. <laughs> What did it look like? Amazing. I, it looked like a great big North, like brighter than the North Star was right on the horizon. And I tried to avoid it with, I steered around it. You were and it kept following me. And I went back the other way in the Bahama Banks. It was right in front of me. It just tracked me everywhere I went. I, I think he might still be stoned on ecstasy, as he says, that he's sailed around the world. I guess I buy that. He's had a pretty interesting life, but he thought he saw. A UFO, and his first thought was to steer his boat away from the UFO that's on the water or something. How, How did he think, think that was going to go? Like, if they wanted you, if, if they want to get you, they're going to get you. I don't care how you steer. And see, that's the problem with humans. They fear anything that's smarter, faster, and stronger with them. At first, they ignore it and they dismiss it. And they never speak of it. They call it a conspiracy. Others may seek to take advantage of it until they realize they cannot take advantage of it. This is what happens. Ultimately, it's down to knowledge. Knowledge is one of the biggest proponents of waking the masses up. So now during this intermission, I'm going to take you back in time to Wyatt Earp's nephews interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. And now back for the fifth week is our ex-frontier lawman and nephew of Wyatt Earp from Sacramento, California, whose category is the Wild West, Virgil Earp. Friends are out there. You feel all right, Virgil? You look fine. Oh, oh. This suit that's very pretty. Isn't it, Tandy? Virgil, you come from a family of law enforcement officers. Before I just let it run, for those of you listening on iHeart, iTunes, or whatever radio station in the world is playing this, I'll point things out and I'll have to interrupt at some point. For those of you watching, brace yourselves. You're going to see things with today's eyes. You're the nephew of the most famous of the United States Marshals. You were marshaled yourself. So you should know, was it, was it tougher or easier to enforce law in your days? Much tougher. Well, because there was some, there was more crime? No, there was lesser crime. The people were more honest. You could leave a poke of gold in your home and leave the door wide open. It was as safe as in the bank vault. Well, then why was the job tougher? Well, because uh, you were the arresting officer. You took every responsibility on yourself. You were arresting officer, detective. Squad car, jailer, the whole thing wrapped up in one. All, all one job. Mm. Uh, if it's not too personal, I don't think this will hurt you now. How much did you get paid in those days for all those duties? $75 a month. I'm very happy with it. $75 a month. How much did, uh, how much did Wyatt make? He was, well, the most that Wyatt made as a marshal was when he was over all the rest of the marshal in Dodge City. He got 250 a month. 250 a month for being a marshal. That was a pretty rugged job. Well, couldn't you have made more money in other ventures? Made some fortunes. But uh, the Orps are lawmen. You can't make anything else out of them. And uh, they wouldn't be otherwise if they could. Well, I'm very thankful that the Orps and other men of your 
Breed were the lawmen because if it weren't for fellows like you, we're liable to have a horseman riding up right now and hold up the whole studio. <laughs> well, Virgil, I'm, as I say, it's, it's a fascinating history you've had, and I'm very thrilled to know you and learn more about it from week to week. Well, now let's get down to the game itself. Last week, Virgil, you won $16,000. You've had a week to think it over, and you're here tonight to tell us whether you're going to take the 16000 or gamble it and go for thirty-two. Thirty-two or no? You're going for $32,000. Let's get going. Pat, would you escort Virgil into the booth, please? Virgil, can you hear me all right? Yeah. You all comfortable? Ready for the question? Ready for the question. Okay, may I have it, please, Ben? The category, as you know, is the Wild West. The question is worth $32,000. And for that amount, Virgil... I want you to answer the following questions about the colorful West. First, here is a map from Rand McNally's history of our United States. Would you hand that map in to Mr. Ed, please, Ben? There's the map. Now, that map that you have before you, Virgil, shows one of the most famous trails of the West. The famous trail shows a trail going from Texas all the way to Kansas. What is its name and what was its purpose and in what town did it first end, and why? Then, well, wait a second, Virgil, we'll come back to that. I want to give you the rest of this question now. Second part of the question, Buffalo Bill Cody was one of the most famous of the scouts and Indian fighters before he became a showman. Against what two Indian tribes did he scout for the army from 1868 to 1872? At the Battle of Indian Creek, he killed an Indian chief in hand-to-hand -hand combat. What was the chief's name, and what award did Cody receive from the United States government for his services? Next part of the question, Virgil. One of the most notorious outlaws of the West was Jesse James. A song became popular immediately after his death that went like this. Listen to this song. Yes, I had a wife to mourn for his life. Three children, they were brave. But that dirty little coward that shot down Mr. Tower is laid for Jesse in the grave. Did you hear that? Oh, yes, somebody with a song. All right, Virgil, I want to ask you a couple of questions about that song. Now, who was the Mr. Howard mentioned in the song? And who is the man referred to as the dirty little coward? And what was his connection with Jesse James? Now for the final part of this question. Listen very carefully. In order to... So that's a really long question. I don't know how he's going to sequester all those questions and not miss the answer. But listen to this. And for those of you watching on Rumble, watch this. To identify their cattle... The Western ranchers created thousands of personal, distinctive brands. Now, look at the brands we have illustrated. May I have those, please, Ben? Would you pass those into Virgil? Forget the map for a moment. Now, look at those brands, Virgil. First, examine brand number one up in that left-hand corner. So, the first brand are the letters X-I-T. Why was this particular brand chosen for the ranch that used it? Now examine brand number two. Brand, brand number, number two. two. 
Brand number two are three crucifixes. Is the first brand used in America. By whom? Brand number two is on the bottom there. Yeah. Now, examine brand number three, which has, has a very interesting story behind it. Brand number three, with the interesting story, has six, 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 six. What caused this brand to be chosen? That's the question, Virgil. You have a little time to think over your answer. Good luck. Well, where do we stop? Here? Right after the music. Oh. <laughs> Right, Virgil, we'll start with the uh, question concerning the map. Now, what is the name of the famous trail? That's the Chisholm Trail. That is correct. What purpose did it serve? It served to run the Longhorns to the shipping market on the railroad. From uh, the Longhorns from where? Uh, from the Panhandle of Texas. That is correct. In, in what, what town did it originally end? Why, it ended in Abilene on the Atchison Franklin Santa Fe Railroad. That is correct. Why did it end there? Well, the uh, railroad hadn't moved up yet. That was the first. That was really the end of the railroad when they shipped from Abilene. That is correct. Now, you can put both those things down now, Virgil. We'll get to the brands a little later. So hold them. Hold them with you. Right. Now, the second part of the question concerned Buffalo Bill Cody. Buffalo Bill Cody served as scout for the army against two Indian tribes. Which two tribes? The Sioux and the Cheyennes. That is correct. What Indian chief did he defeat in combat? Uh, Yellow Hand. What was that? Yellow Hand. Yellow Hand? Yes. That is correct. What high decoration did he receive? He received the Congressional Medal of Honor. That is correct. Now concerning the song that you heard. Who in the song was Mr. Howard? Jesse James. That is correct. Who was referred to as the dirty little coward? Bob Ford. Bob Ford is correct. And what was his connection with Jesse James? Well, he was one of the gang of outlaws under Jesse and Frank James. That is correct. He was a member of his gang. Now you can get a picture of the brands in front of you. Concerning the brands, Virgil, brand number one. Why was it chosen by the ranch that used it? So this is the symbol X-I-T. Why did the ranch use the symbol X-I-T? Well, there's a ranch in Texas that covers approximately six counties, or ten counties. The X was a numeral number for the ten, and the I was for uh, Virgil, to be fair with you. Ten in T. Ten in Texas. Ten in Texas. Ten in Texas. That, that is correct. This is in and this is Texas. Okay, that is right. Now, brand two. This is the first brand used in America. Yeah. By who? So, XIT stands for 10 in Texas. X stands for the Roman numeral number 10. I for the word in and T for Texas. Now, for the second one, the first brand ever used in the U.S. to brand were three crucifixes. Let's listen to the answer. 
whom was it used? The Cortez. Hernando Cortez is correct. It uh, captured Mexico. One more brand to identify for $32,000. What unusual reason caused the choice of this brand? So Cortez from Mexico was the one that introduced the three crucifixes as a branding. Now, what, why, and where, and who used the 6666 branding? This is interesting. Well, they were having a big poker game. And the rancher that owned this particular ranch had went broke as far as money. So he staked his ranch against the money on one bet. And his opposer had four sixes and went on the ranch. Yep. So he thought nothing better for a branding iron than four sixes. The man who won the ranch won it in the poker hand with four sixes. Four sixes. And that became its brand. Is that what you say? Yes. So the rancher that owned the ranch bet in a game of poker with someone else his ranch. And he lost his ranch and his money to one four of a kind hand, which were four sixes. Therefore, the, the ranch would brand their cattle with four sixes. Interesting. You're right for $32,000. Marshall, congratulations again. You've just won 32 big ones. Your next question is worth $64,000. And if you can dig up, and I mean literally dig up a better expert than you are, you can bring him to the studio and help you if you decide to go for $64,000. I've seen uh, an ex-Arizonan, ex-Senator, Yesterday in the office. Yeah. Boy, yeah, a wonderful guy. Well, I'm sure he was glad to see you. Virgil, thanks for being with us tonight. We'll see you next week. Right. Good night, Virgil. Er. Wow. That guy lived in the 1800s and had all that knowledge in his mind. Well, let's start with someone just. Reiterating some scripture, I know this is kind of like offbeat, but it'll kind of make sense for those that read Bibles. My name is Ariana Ross, and this is um, a prophetic word that I want to share with you all. I just want you guys to understand that the way in which God is preparing to bless you and the way in which he is blessing many of you is going to be out of the ordinary and he is really wanting us to prep our hearts and minds because the world is not going to understand how these blessings came about, how you have uh, received what you have. They're not gonna understand the glow up. And some of them may go as far to, to assume that you've sold your soul to the devil, that you've done something wild to get to where you are, like you've compromised in some way, when in fact, no, that is not the case. Our God is simply faithful, but the reason as to why these blessings are going to show up in unconventional ways is because it's to glorify our Father. So he's going to bless you in ways that man cannot. That's the glory. He, he needs that glory. So it's going to show up again in that unconventional way. And he brought this to my awareness uh, this morning as I was reading the book of Proverbs. And let's see. It's chapter 30, and we'll, we'll start here at verse 21, okay? And I'm going to read from two uh, different translations, one from NIV, the NIV version, and then 
I have my Tanakh here that I want to read from the Hebrew Bible, okay? So this is the NIV version. It says, under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces her mistress. Again, many will tremble. They, they won't be able to bear how it is you've received what you have, what you shall have. They won't be able to fathom what God is doing because they haven't trusted in the God that we trust in. They haven't waited on the God that we have waited on. They have not submitted their lives to God in the way that we have. So they, there's no way for them to understand the blessings of our God. So they draw their own worldly conclusions. But let me take it from the Tanakh. Again, this is Proverbs chapter 30. The earth shudders at three things, at four, which it cannot bear, a slave who becomes king, a scoundrel sated with food, a loathsome woman who gets married, a slave girl who supplants her mistress. Now, what this is speaking to is the way perception can deceive. See, many people who are being resurrected right now, who are coming into total submission of what God has called them to, those you have interceded for, are now becoming kings. They're now taking their royal uh, position, whereas before they may have been in captivity, they may have been bound. So the world will see this and shudder and assume it's a slave who, who became king. You are a nobody before, but now you have all this food. I don't understand. How, how is your harvest so significant when last season I saw you and you look like you were at your lowest? It continues, a loathsome woman who gets married. The haters gonna hate, but when they see you move into your marriage promise, again, this is what they're assuming. Wow, how? How could she get married? We don't believe in her. We didn't think that she was worthy. It continues here and it says a slave girl who, who supplants her mistress. You are about to be blessed to wear again. The way the world perceives you, they will not be able to understand or fathom. They will shudder. And some of them, most of them, will not be able to bear it. But it is your promise. You are claiming your inheritance. And though others may not understand it, you do. And when we speak of your inheritance, as you can see, they are terrified of the people. They are terrified of the people, and that's what matters. The people that they considered insignificant, people that weren't pretty enough to be on TV. Look at me. I have boobs and I have nice hair. I'm going to be on TV because I'm important, right? Uh, you know, this is exactly what it's coming down to, that those in power cannot fathom how the people are arising. It's, it's, it's so fascinating to watch it. And, you know, the question you should ask yourself is, how do you know what you're doing matters? Like, you know, and, and, and the way I see it is when you're doing something that is making something better, then you can cut through the noise really, really, really quickly, especially in a world like this where there's so much noise. The best person to talk about the success of your wants and what you want in your life and your community 
is, of course, President Donald John Trump. Do you guys want to be successful or don't you care? Okay, you better believe it. Sometimes in life to be successful, oftentimes, most of the time, you have to follow your instincts. You have to follow your gut. You have to. In life, in order to be successful, and you people are well on the road to success, you have to find out what makes you excited. What makes you want to get up each morning and go to work? You have to find it. I was no different when I was 20 years old, believe me. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to get out of Brooklyn. I said, Pop, I love you, but I want to get out of Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn, but I want to get out. And I'd see those big buildings, those big skyscrapers in Manhattan. I said, Pop, that's what I want to do. That's what I wanted to do. I love taking things and fixing them taking things and building. I love building. You can do anything. You can be anything you want to be. But in order to succeed, you must find out what you love to do. You have to find your passion, no matter what they tell you. They said, there is no path to victory for Donald Trump. They forgot about the forgotten people. By the way, they're not forgetting about the forgotten people anymore. They're going crazy trying to figure it out. But I told them, far too late. It's far too late. You have to have an ability to handle pressure. Because you, no matter how successful you are, I have many, many friends and enemies, a lot of enemies too, I don't care. And people that can handle pressure can be entrepreneurs, can be successful. Now, I have some friends that are really, really smart, but they can't handle pressure, in which case they should work for somebody, do great, and have a good life. There's nothing wrong with it. And if you can't handle pressure, you have to know that about yourself. You have to know that about yourself. So, handle pressure. If you can't, that's okay. Some people, they say, I've got to be successful. I've got to be. They'll never be successful. It's too crazy. They, they can't think straight. You have to remember, it doesn't matter. God matters. Your family matters. You've got to be able to sort of say to yourself, nothing matters that much other than the real big deals. I used to love going to Sunday school. People don't know this about Trump. They think, oh, Trump, you know, Trump. But the truth is, I went to Sunday school, and I loved going to Sunday school. And I did for years, and I learned a lot. And I learned about God, and that was probably the greatest thing I've ever learned. Forget all the business stuff. Never cease to be proud of who you are and the principles you hold dear and stand by. Wear your values as your badge of honor. Go out, have a great time in life, compete, remember your duty, honor your history, take care of the people God put into your life. And if you refuse to give in to doubt or to fear, and you will win, 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 and help people in doing so. If you love what you do and dedicate yourself to your work, then you will gain momentum. And look, you have to. You need the word momentum. You will gain that momentum. And each success will create 
another success. I wanted to share with you guys um, a letter that was crafted by many and shared with your gifts uh, to your president. I think uh, you may uh, like this letter in the sense that it embodied everything everyone did. Many states got together and reenacted Iwo Jima. And it was a most marvelous thing to see. I want to show you the video that was put together that was done in the most beautiful way. And hopefully you guys will understand just how much effort was put in, but it almost seemed effortless only because it was made out of love. Something that President Trump and many others throughout time have mentioned that in order to get things done, you must feel that it isn't work. Because if it feels like work, then it's not fun. And if it's not fun, then you're, <laughs> then you're not doing it right. So let me share this video with you guys. It started really quickly. That was quick. <laughs> Give me a second. Where's my thing? There it is, because I can't see it. There we go. Here we go. Enjoy. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was weird. Give me a second. Um, that just went out on me. Okay, here we go. Sorry about that. I'm going to start it from there. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry that happened. Here we go again. So sorry again. Congress failed to represent their citizens. The fourth unelected branch of government grew. The Supreme Court restricted from the argument. And the office of the presidency had been captured. The Bill of Rights had been limited, excluding the internet. The Constitution was being diluted. The system had failed. Do votes count? Is this still the land of liberty? New York is a very strong and resilient, and they'll rebuild quickly. How should the U.S. respond to uh, such a devastating? Well, I think they have to respond quickly and effectively. From the legacy of New York, a new story had begun. Born for the crossroads of this nation's history. Seven days, seven months, and 70 years from the day of his birth to his first full day in office. And in overcoming all of the obstacles and against all odds, he received election to the White House from the vote to voice of the people. Donald John Trump became the 45th president. We are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. It was pioneers of a new form of government who planted a seed in fertile soil. A government of, by, and for the people. 
built on representation and guaranteed rights to its citizens. This was the seed of liberty, the United States of America. The tyrants we are fighting do not stand a chance of victory because we are Americans and Americans kneel to God and to God alone. Empires rise and fall every 250 years. What is the fate of this republic? The most vigilant citizens witness corruption overtake the federal government. Where is our representation? Where is the voice of the people? I am your voice. Donald Trump was the signal. Four years of an economic boom, four years of jobs, low gas prices and real hope. Promises made and promises kept. But then the people's voice was taken away once again. The full understanding of our nation's trouble had been revealed. Gotta end. We're not gonna have a country. In the devastation of their losses, the children of freedom remember there was that old tree of liberty. Seeds had been planted across all 50 states. The people organized. They began with writing letters, holding the power of the pen. Our freedoms taken yet still free on paper. Brave patriots spoke out at school boards, cities, and state legislators. Corruption in the courts, laws broken, and no accountability. The depth of betrayal was revealed. A righteous indignation awakened. The failure to uphold the law inspired citizens to run for office. School boards, city officials, state legislators, and state offices. But the system fought back and denied access to being on the ballot. Yet, against all the odds, a rally cry echoed, Make America great again. It's time to put America first. We the people have risen up to take back power. We want representation. We want our constitutional republic restored. We want an Internet Bill of Rights. We want to pass on the legacy of the United States of America preserved for the next generation. President Trump, you are to us the Iwo Jima flag, a symbol of courage. You went first, and now the people will lift you back up. Roots of liberty, seeds have been planted. Thank you for all you have done, are doing, and will do for all of us. You activated the people. We the people were always the trump card. Happy birthday, Donald Trump, the 45th and greatest president ever. And that's how you get things done. You get things done by doing the work. But not only doing the work, doing it because you like it. Now, here's a letter. Uh, not many people have seen this, so you'll hear it. Dear President Donald John Trump, Gift-giving on one's birthday is an ancient custom. Gifts are given to people important to us to offer good fortune and prosperity. 
we the people took this opportunity, your birthday, that happens to be Flag Day, to show you why you are important to us. Your advisors, pundits, the media and politicians claim your achievements are a great economy, security, and foreign policy. But the most important one is never mentioned. Your most important achievement has and continues to be breathing courage into the lives of millions of people around the world. Courage is the difference between impossible and I'm possible. The soldiers of Iwo Jima raising the flag is not a story of victory or conquest, but a story of courage. When they raised the flag, the Marines at the foot of the hill cheered and the horns of the closest ship blew. This is why the commander ordered an even bigger flag to be lifted because it gave them courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the judgment that your goal is more important than your fear. Courage is intangible. So we decided to emulate and recreate courage as a tangible asset. And we offer that to you as a gift for your birthday. In these boxes, we present our humble gift. Flags that every person whose name is on seated paper raised. And two thumb drives with videos and pictures showing you our journey. Mr. President, you planted the seed of courage in all of us. And soon you will be back at the White House. We respectfully request that you plant each seated paper for each respective state or nation in a new White House greenhouse named Courage. These seated documents will blossom into flowers so that courage is now a tangible asset. The flowers will serve as a reminder for generations to come that the roots of liberty are seated with courage. Happy birthday. So you guys did that. Every single one of you did that. And what's important for people to understand is that everything that everyone is telling you, you're doing things that don't matter. They actually do. This is what the noise tells you. Remember, when you're doing something that's making something better, there will be a lot of fuss and noise around it. And you can cut through the noise really, really quickly once you stay focused. With so much confusion, how do you know what you are doing matters or that it's the right thing to be doing at this time? In essence, by asking yourself that, it's really circling down and driven down to the real question every human has. What is the meaning of life, right? People say life is hard or it isn't hard, depending on who you're talking to. In fact, life is dependent on how much of the world you let into your personal purview or space that allows you to see the difficulty or intricacy of life. It's like living in a bubble. If your life revolves around you, uh, your home, your cat, and work, and you don't associate with anyone, or maybe you do, but just a little bit, and you just get up in the morning, go to work, come back, and on the weekends you plant or, you know, draw or just just that, you know, the, your life's not that complicated and you really don't care, right? So your life basically is just in 
your circle is your neighbor, maybe their work in life, right, can expand to it, right? Maybe you want to include in that bubble your town council's activity. But every factor that you include in your bubble, it expands tenfold. If you were to get involved, let's say, for a road that your town council is planning on creating and you don't want it or you do, right? Then you kind of are getting involved. And suddenly you're looking into the life of your town council members, uh, their interests. And what is their interest in making this road? And do they have interests that are supporting them? And what is the interest of the interest of the companies surrounding this greater scheme of things and the taxes and they're going to be involved? The loss of your favorite bridge that may be home to a species of frog that no one pays attention to. Suddenly your life in your bubble have become bigger and more complicated and more difficult because you just wanted to talk about this road. You see, that's the way life is. Life is what you make of it. If you want to keep it small then and not get involved, you simply exist and are not partaking. So when I hear people saying, <laughs> you know, life isn't complicated and it's not difficult then you know you're speaking to people that have a very small circle in what they call life. And as we look, we're looking around in our environment, in our work environment, family environment, city, society, and it looks like it's the darkest corners of any life. Our social circles have expanded to almost infinity with a vast sea of anonymous and pseudo-anonymous and artificial intelligence entities that you engage with on a daily basis that amplify your darkest fears, thoughts, and attributes, but also can amplify all the good. And how does that happen? I mean, why do that? Why even look Right. Why even look or participate in conversations that amplify your fear or your good qualities? Why even expand your social circle in the first place? And that comes down to free will and what part you wish to play in your life to understand, you know, if what you're doing matters, which is what is the meaning of life? See, you get closer to the answer when you're able to engage a larger bubble and be able to take a more 40,000-foot view. You can do your part and refuse to see the vast existence and maintain your role in consuming and producing, or you can expand that and look deeper into all these dark places because that's where you find the brightest lights. And you know that it's light, and that light is truth and true because it shines in those dark corners, and you flock to it. This is why we have to look at things and hear things we don't want to look at because it's as you're looking at those where you can see that light, that light that exists in darkness and confusion and you realize how true it is. It reminds me of that time I was stuck in a blizzard, a whiteout, and and I was only a few feet away from my home, but I couldn't see it. So what I looked for was a light and followed whatever looked like a light. And as I followed that light, I found my way home. It's what I thought was hours in the blizzard where I couldn't see in front of me. The wind was blowing. Everything looked white. That light helped me stay focused. 
And no matter how, uh, you know, the wind knocked me off my feet, how I tripped over mounds of snow, and what is normally a one-minute walk took forever, it was the light that kept me there. And life, as you see it in general, is filled with more darkness than light, if you actually look. Evil, lies, secrets, deception. I mean, what's the point of doing anything, right, if we're fighting in the dark? Because that's basically what we're doing. You're fighting things that you know, things you don't know, and things you don't even know you don't know. And all you do see is darkness the more you look, more evil, more torment. And, and, and sometimes in places that you look, you can't even see a light. Or you see a light that was a mirage. It went out. It suddenly became part of the darkness in the same corporate machinery. Why look, right? Why do that? Why chase a mirage? Well, you learn, first of all, and then you can discern between real light and not real light. You can do your part and refuse the vast existence and maintain that role, like I said, consuming and producing. But you actually have to face and confront the darkness and actually be the light you wish to emulate. That's how you unlock the gates of hell from the inside and escape. If everyone looked at all the darkness and realized how evil grows and expands, it would have been eradicated by now. It's not optional. Keep it in mind, it's not optional to seek your meaning of life. It isn't. It's literally the foundation of your existence to search and find that meaning. It's it's innate, right? It's like you know, your 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 instinctive responses to touching something hot. It's innate. Even those that wear their masks, comply with government orders, bend the knee, and wear blinders, they have that instinct too, but they're fighting it because their hearts have been subdued and their minds have been shut off. At some point, some people just thinking for themselves can cause them immense harm. But think about it. When there's no meaning in your life, and you're simply waking up, going to work, coming back, watering your plants, petting your cat, and just going to the market, buying your food, and that's it. It's not really a life worth living. And like the clip that I played of President Trump, you know, what motivates you to get out of bed? Well, what is the reason you got out of bed on this horrific day? Why did you get out of bed? Is it just habit? Is it because you couldn't just lie down? Is it because you wanted to get something specific done? You have to ask yourself that question. Why is it that you got up? Think about how many of us have every reason to pull the covers over our head and go back to sleep. And now think of all the people that didn't do that and are making change, regardless of how small you might see it. It's good enough, like the president said. People are getting out of bed, but what they're doing as they get out of bed, are they keeping their head down and doing as little as possible to avoid punishment? Or are they doing something to make change in their bubble, no matter how big and small? 
What things are they doing in life? Do they have things they can do for others? Can you contribute to somebody else's life? They're doing difficult things. It's almost as if, you know, some people are just sparring with multiple people and things at the same time. I guess that, for me, gives a sense of living. Like those lyrics of Stevie Wonder, it's a high to just be alive. And uh, it reminds me of how I remember when I uh, was advised by my doctor that there's nothing they can do that can, they can help me with, they, with pain except for give me painkillers. And then I thought, well, if it feels anything like when I, I was in the hospital where I couldn't feel anything, then I'm not alive. So I guess, in a sense, suffering is uh, a way of reminding you that you're alive. I know that sounds really morbid and contradicting, but, uh, but I believe that is, in fact, the way things are. I like difficult things. I like adventures. I like exploring. I like every day to be different. Do I have the motivation to do that all the time? Maybe not. Do I feel empowered every day? Maybe not. But sometimes suffering voluntarily, doing those hard things, is pretty much packing all that burden, yours and others, as if it's like a backpack, and just heading up that mountain. Suffering voluntarily. That's actually how you end it. Embracing the suck, as they say. You embrace it. You embody the suffering, and suddenly, it's a Tuesday for you. Suddenly, you fear not. Suddenly, you don't care. And, and you know, every single time I say, well, it's your fault, we're here. This isn't a victim shame. You know, I don't want <laughs> to blame anyone specifically. But when I say it's all your fault, I'm also saying that for myself, too. Right. The condition and the state of our society, our lives, our world is also my fault, too. I mean, I just refuse to be a victim of that choice at that point in time, no matter how passive that choice was. Here's an example. I know there's a group of people I know exist. I've seen their facilities in person somewhere. Their job is to mitigate ancient animals that are in the 95% unexplored waters of this biodome that can cause havoc, right? Just think like Megalodon, right? I'm just allegedly saying things here. If something like that were to actually happen, uh, you know, it's, it's understandable that there would be a disruption of trade lines by sea, deplete our fishery, deal, disallow us to swim in the sea. We won't be able to go on cruises. We won't be able to get goods unless they're coming on an airplane, right? Because they'll just be these monsters in the water. And maybe there'll be algae blooms, right? Red algae that'll just suffocate every marine life we know. Now, I know this group exists. I know they exist. I know they're looking for ways of mitigation. And they're always on the ready to, I don't know, use laser beams or shock them into the past or something, right? Or in some way contain that, right? They have equipment, these are scientists. They put their time and their money. And they spend that money and their time just in case. But you know what? 
I've never contributed to that organization. I never gave them a dime. I've never, you know, sent them a text saying, hey, great job, guys, or tweeted to them. I mean, they're incognito, but, you know, never anything like that. I never even sent them a letter saying, hey, you know, I have this idea. Maybe this will help, you know. So let's pretend that today I suddenly have no gas. My house is cold. There's no more natural gas. And instantly a family member of mine dies because one of these monsters tackled their cruise ship. And then in an instant, we lose all our pescatarian diets and we can't have fish and we can't go fishing and we can't go swim. We can't go tan by the beach because maybe these things will crawl out and eat us. You know, whatever it is, right? So in essence, it is also my fault. But, you know, why would I blame anyone else? I could have helped them, right? I could have sent them a dime. I could have this. But the way I saw it, right, is that I took full responsibility that I didn't contribute to this, you know, prehistoric monster society that's, you know, uh, looking at these concerns because I assumed that the threat was very minimal and that the effect of me investing my time, my comments, sending them a t-shirt, you know, a dollar, you know, was, was better spent somewhere else that was a bigger threat, you see, and not a lot of us would invest in that kind of like exploring minnows off the coast of Oman. You know, we don't see that affecting us anytime directly. And this is how we as human beings deduce where we focus our time and money. Remember, your time is the most expensive thing on this planet because it's limited from the minute you pop out of your mom. So in life, we make choices. And the possibilities of life are happening every single second. They're happening right now, right? And in the example I gave, you know, some prehistoric, ancient, alien, whatever, coming out of the water and disrupting my my gas and my goods and my, uh, you know, ability to interact with the marine terrain. <laughs> terrain, marine, uh, so dumb. Anyway, those, those... <laughs> Those things didn't seem so important to me. Other things did. We all focus on things that provide us higher chances of occurrence than lower chances of occurrence. And this is how we should treat rabbit holes and information. We should focus on information that assists us in the now, not the maybe in the future. Or, oh yeah, we should look into the past and stay there. Don't look into the now, look into the past. You know, it's kind of like those uh, gurus that tell you that, you know, you need to heal your inner child or he was from a bad breakup or whatever. You're stuck in the past. That's a real thing. People focusing on past rather than the now. That's a, that's another problem that we, the people do. Now, if we focus on the now and the needs of the now as they manifest, that's a good thing. That's spending your most important currency on things that can affect you right now, not the comet that may hit you or the asteroid that may hit you. Therefore, let's invest in the subgroup of NASA that's thinking of, you know, exploding it with nukes. We should be focusing on things that we know are going to make a difference now. Like the stickers. You know, I started this sticker thing in 2016, it was actually 2015 where I had the first stickers, where I had like the yellow hair. I, I didn't make many. I, I, I maybe I printed off like 50, but I was posting them all over Minnesota, North Dakota, uh, New York, and um, Pennsylvania where I was at. 
So I was posting them wherever I would go. And they were simple just to kind of leave it in there. Best president ever. And then this little yellow hair thing going on the ever part. Right. And then in 2016, I had Trump pen stickers. I still have a roll from back in 2016 uh, where I would just post them everywhere. I would put them on uh, shopping carts, on on food, on gas station pumps and the walls and the bathrooms and the airports and the Mall of America. I would even put them on the floor and step on them so they're stuck and then more people walk all over them and then they're stuck forever. I think I did it on the second floor in some place. Right. And it was hundreds of stickers because it was all about putting a message out discreetly, but also subliminally. And so all of you saw that, you know, last spring when we were discussing it and then we actually printed our own stickers and how we were going and the impeach 44 and then moving it along. And you see quickly how these uh, stickers went out. I mean, if you remember, my daughter and I went to a Cleveland Indian games when they were called Indians and we dropped a Trump one banner where they had the masks. I took pictures of us. I didn't take pictures of the banner because I didn't want to get detained. After I dropped it, uh, we, uh, you know, well, she was already gone. I dropped it. I didn't want her to be held accountable. And if the camera came to us, I didn't want her on it. So I'd sent her off to go get, um, I, I don't even remember what I had asked for, something stupid. And she was upset. So I dropped the, the, the banner and it caught someone's eye and then bounced And then suddenly other people were doing it too. We did it at the Cavaliers game and suddenly everybody was doing it in baseball games, any games. And then we did the billboards and then everyone started doing billboards. Then I did the water billboard, you know, across the shores of Miami and then it started to go everywhere and everyone started to do it. It only takes one match to set it alight, right? That's it. It just takes one. And that's where we know that our energy is well spent. When we see that we are making a change, right? We invested our time in something of the now, which if we did nothing would have increased the likelihood of losing everything that we are working so diligently to maintain, which is our nation, our independence, and our sovereignty as a nation. At this point in time, many are confused on where to focus their energy, right? Lots of spinoff stories, pointing out good and bad, reflecting the past. Well, you know, again, this is done to lose your focus. You must stay focused on where the light is or how this is becoming. I think the simplest way, and I, I guess I watched maybe in the past too many Marie Kondo, you know, moments where, you know, because I was, I was purging a, a big portion of my previous uh, possessions uh, of my life. And um, I watched a lot of hers, but she would say, you know, hey, if you want to keep this skirt, does it give you joy? You know. So when you think of it, you could say, does it bring you joy to listen to Joe Rogan, right? So then buy his t-shirt, subscribe to him on Spotify, do whatever to continue bringing that joy. Does it bring you joy and satisfaction to listen to Patrick Berge, trash people all day, say things that make no sense, conflict everything, and put crass information out? Then you should buy his book. 
Does it bring you joy to see children in gay bars putting dollar bills in tranny panties and seductively dancing to them? Then go to the shows and contribute your time and money to them. See, I know a lot of people that I say, uh, a lot of people pretty much that say, well, I only follow that account or I watch it or contribute to see things. But in the same coin, you're allowing them to continue to exist. Your time is the most expensive currency that you can provide to anyone because it is limited. So you must make it count. You must make sure that your time is spent on uh, learning new things, understanding perspectives, communicating with people within your community, and anything else that helps amplify light or be the light and eradicate all the darkness that seems to exist in our lives. Truth has a very specific frequency. It's mesmerizing. It's not always packaged all pretty with a bow. It's not always nice. But when it's bare and naked in front of you, you can see and hear it. That's why it shines the brightest in the darkest corners of our lives and our community. That's why they call it the guiding light, right? And we must understand that uh, the more we expend our energy on things that do not serve us, that do not bring us happiness or make others happy or give us joy, as Marie Kondo says, right? we must understand that there's a scientific, mathematical, algorithm reason as to why we are in the stagnant or uh, you know, proliferating or decaying stage. And that would be, you know, hormones, happy hormones, stress hormones, all these regulate and deregulate the decryption of your DNA code. Therefore, when we, when we read scriptures in any religious text or spiritual, because I guess religion is only counted as Muslim, Judaism, and Christian Christianity, Hinduism, and all that, they consider them spirituality, whatever, right? But if you actually read all the texts, they come down to shed everything you have and give it to the poor and, you know, you'll be fine. That's not, no. See, th- see, this is them changing shit to make it look dumb. It means serve your fellow man, serve your neighbor, serve the guy that's your security guard, serve the train conductor, serve your bus conductor, serve the guy at Chipotle that didn't give you, you know, the hot sauce. Serve them with kindness and joy that you would like to be served. And suddenly everything you have is theirs and everything they have is yours. There is so much abundance of love and prosperity within our world. And no one seems to understand that. Now, having said that, your efforts have completely changed where we should be in a good way. The people have changed the path. Unfortunately, it's a path with a lot of light. So nothing goes unnoticed. They cannot hide what they are doing. 
And you saw earlier the Republicans, how they're going into the red flags laws. But you also saw that your medical record is going to be considered into that. Therefore, if you're being flagged by the medical community as being mentally incapacitated or a danger or whatever, then Homeland Security, because you didn't take the vaccine or that you're questioning the doctor or that you're not complying with authority, that is going to be taken into account in your red flag laws. So every single choice you make in your health, in your work, in your life will now be taken into account to see if you are allowed to own a weapon. The way you vote is being calculated. What you say is being calculated. So it's very, very important that you stay diligent and solid to what it is because if you don't stand for anything, you will fall for everything. You just have to keep on pushing. And like he said, success. Hmm. I'll tell you a story that's very interesting for me. When I was young, there was a man named William Levitt, and he was a very successful man. And he'd build homes, and at night he'd go to these major sites with teams of people, and he'd scour the sites for nails and sawdust. And they cleaned the site so when the workers came in the next morning, the sites would be spotless and clean. And he did it properly. And he did this for 20 years. And then he was offered a lot of money for his company. And he sold his company for a tremendous amount of money. And he went out and bought a big yacht. And the company that bought his company was a big conglomerate. And they didn't know anything about building homes and they didn't know anything about picking up the nails and the sawdust and selling it and the scraps of wood. This was a big conglomerate based in New York City. And after about a 10 year period, they were losing a lot with it. So they called William Levitt up and they said, would you like to buy back your company? And he said, yes, I would. He so badly wanted, he got bored with this life of yachts and sailing and all of the things he did in the south of France and other places. He bought back his company and he bought back a lot of empty land and he worked hard on getting it zoning and he worked hard on starting to develop. And in the end, he failed and he failed badly. Lost all of his money. He went personally bankrupt. And I saw him at a cocktail party. And it was very sad because the hottest people in New York were at this party. And I see sitting in the corner was a little old man who was all by himself. Nobody was talking to him. I immediately recognized that that man was the once great William Levitt of Levittown. And he explained what was happening and how bad it's been and how hard it's been. And I said, what exactly happened? Why did this happen to you? And he said, Donald, I lost my momentum. A word you never hear when you're talking about success. When some of these guys that never made 10 cents, they're on television giving you things about how you're going to be successful. And the only thing they ever did was a book and a tape. It was very sad. And I never forgot that moment. And I thought about it. And it's exactly true. He lost his momentum. In life, I always tell this to people, you have to know whether or not you continue to have the momentum. And if you don't have it, that's okay. Because you're gonna go on and you're gonna learn and you're gonna do things that are great. 
but you have to know about the word momentum. Always have passion. You've got to have passion for your family, for your life, for your church, for whatever it is. You've got to have that passion. You've got to just love it. I, I would always say to people, and I'd see people, and I'd say, "You got to love what you do, because you know if you love what you do, you work harder." And I've seen so many instances where people with great talent went into things that they didn't love, and they failed. I've seen people that are super genius, but they don't have that gut feeling. They don't have that stick to itiveness, that never quit. And I've seen people that almost made it and failed because they couldn't go that extra mile. But when you do something that you love, you'll never fail. What you're going to do is give it a shot again and again. And again, you're ultimately going to be successful. And remember this: you're not working when you do something that you love. Remember this: it's not work. So you'll work 24/7. You're going to work all the time, and at the end of a year, you're not really working. You don't think of it as work. When you're not doing something that you like, that's called work, and it's hard work and tedious work. So as much as you can, do something that you love. Work hard and never, ever give up. Never, ever give up. Doing something you love, and I'm pretty sure all of us would love to fix our community. All of us would love to showcase our love for what we love. <laughs> right? That's the bottom line. So as this week unfolds, you have to remember. Everything that is happening is done because you, in some shape or form, contributed to it happening, passively or actively. And it's important that you understand that if you contributed to it happening, you can contribute to it unhappening or changing it. And our scars should be worn as badges again. Be mindful where you expend your energy. Be mindful of things that are just pure, vile, vitriol, and hate. You don't need that in your life, so just excise it. I don't remember how I got these scars, but I know I lived a hell of a life. I can't remember how I made it this far, but I know it was a hell of a fight. Could have been some bones in a coffin stone Drinking vodka locked up with the bros Causing problems broke at the bottom You know that I got a lot of marks under these clothes Should have killed me somehow I survived These tattoos on my arm Hide from you All the scars But I know I probably should have died I don't remember why I cried all those tears But I know that I turned out alright 
I know that people wanted me dead I lost all my friends was running from the cops Getting brevish dark in my head You know that I have seen a lot of things in all of my years But I'm thankful for this crazy life